Blog Talk Radio. Good morning. This is your host, Lorraine Neidhart, and you have reached Venus Unplugged. So what we do here is, you know, Venus the name and wisdom the game. That's what we're going for. How does Venus work in our lives, in the unconscious, in the heavens, um, all things Venusian? So what we're going to be working on now or exploring is the archetypal world, the kingdom, the inner journey, and the kingdom within, which has all sorts of interesting powers. And the more unconscious, meaning we're not aware of, so the ego, that's who we think we are, is a very, very small corner of the kingdom and uh, meanwhile the archetypal energies which are psychic patterns uh, that that are very much alive and that we are in and they are in us just like we have a soul but we are also in sold so we're going to be looking at the animus and that's why I named it the Animus Hunting. So let's find out how this is operating in all of us. Okay, the Animus is the name of the masculine aspect within the woman. The Anima is the feminine aspect within the man. So what we, uh, the inspiration for this is the work of Barbara Hanna. It's a marvelous book called The Inner Journey, and it's lectures and essays on Jungian psychology. And Barbara Hanna's the first generation of Jungians, and I like to, uh, I was also trained by a second generation uh, Jungian, so I like to get as close to the original pattern as possible, and then we can explore others, all right? Now, what we're looking at here is the, how does this work? How do we become aware why do we, uh, you know, let's say, for instance, you know, you have a wild attraction to the, the bad boy. Well, actually, it's not an attraction. It is the animus who's picking the puer, the eternal boy, who's really isn't into commitment and really isn't into love. It's more about the game. And so you think you're picking it. But the question is, who in you is picking this? And that's a very important thing is to learn to question, not doubt, but question. Because when we make a connection, the animus is both positive and negative, depends on how we work it. And that doesn't mean good and bad. It just means positive and negative. All right. But if we know its nature, we certainly can recognize it in others. Like, ooh, what's that about? All right, and we, we, we meet a woman and she's uh, very opinionated. Or you have a boss that's always right and very opinionated and they have no regard for, for feelings or relatedness. You know, it's the, they're animus-possessed. And they think, you know, that they're just getting the job done. Well, there's a lot of ways to get the job done. And the feminine, which is what we are trying to connect to, is... Uh, Powerful, but not power-driven. There's a difference. So in the personal aspect, of, just this is a quote from 
Doctrine. So in its personal aspect, the shadow is not really difficult to recognize, although this is a long and weary and often exceedingly painful undertaking. Believe me, it truly, truly is. The real difficulty comes from the contamination of the personal shadow with figures of the collective unconscious behind it. So the shadow is what we don't know about ourselves on a personal level. But behind that is the world of the collective unconscious, which is ancient, which is the beginning of time, which in a sense is every act uh, that humanity ever created or acted upon. That's all this great substance. So it's huge. You know, this work and learning to travel through these realms is truly initiation. So this represents a great complication of the work. So the work is the work of alchemy, the work of individuation. For instance, people with a sensitive conscious, once they uh, see their dark side at all, they may lose their sense of proportion and begin to make themselves responsible uh, for the devil himself. It's my fault, and why don't I do this, and all that, okay? Therefore, learning to discriminate between the personal sphere and the great figures of the collective unconscious is of the utmost importance. The figure nearest to the ego and shadow is the anima and animus. Now, the anima and animus are the foundation stones. So this is, the, you know, we become aware of the shadow, uh, and we certainly find it easy to recognize in others. Uh, and uh, But it's that anima and animus. Eh, that's the tricky part. So when we begin to recognize how to discriminate in this personal sphere, we're not going to get into so much trouble. And we're on the road to selfhood with a capital S, who we truly are, not who we're being run by, right? So the figures nearest to the ego and the shadow is the anima and animus. And Jung often uh, speaks of a kind of marriage between the animus and the shadow, which makes a combination that is far too strong for a weak, conscious ego. In his 1932 seminar, uh, he goes into the aspect in considerable detail and points out that a woman must be in possession of her shadow, that is, aware of her inferior side, in order to be in a position to relate to the animus at all. So that's important to know. Sometimes it happens all at once. Right? It's like a little scrambled egg within, right? So people who think they are just too marvelous, this is what Dr. Young says here, people who think that they are just too marvelous, marvelously good, and thus deny the shadows altogether, that they're literally possessed by, by devils. See, uh, possession is, can be the negative animus. Something is taking us over. In medieval times, we, now, there can be spiritual possession. I'm not saying that there's not, but most of the time it's this animus power-driven. Um, and here he goes on to say, they are all eaten up by the animus, and the animus grows fat on it, and he's strengthened by the excellent nourishment he gets so strong and can possess the conscious, and then the conscious is under his rule. 
therefore the animus should not be connected with the shadow, uh, that connection should be broken, despite the fact that you arrive at the animus by way of the shadow. For you can never arrive at the animus unless you see the shadow. What we don't know. Uh, so unless you see your own inferior sides. So when you see your shadow, you can detach from the anima and animus. But as long as you don't see it, you don't have a ghost of a chance. So to put it more simply, you're having a ghost of a chance while the animus and shadow are married. For the game always stands at, uh, at the two-to-one against the conscious ego. So that's, you thought you were alone in there, huh? Nope. There's a whole world. And as I said, you know, the shadow isn't necessarily evil. It's just what we don't know. We can be a part of the shadow where we have gifts and talents, but we don't see it or they've been denied. And so we give them to other people. Oh, no, they can do that. I could never do that. But you love uh, to sing. Oh, no, but I can't. Well, try. So the animus is the figure. It's easier to recognize in others, as I said, because it's it's very opinionated. It's not necessarily, you know, it's like, well, these are the facts. Well, the, just because it's a fact doesn't mean it's a truth. There's things that are factual, but not truthful. So, and when there's this illogic, all right, so learning to think which means learning to question what's going on. So this, I read something, I think it was yesterday, and I thought, wow, okay, that's a, that's a good thing to remember. And um, it was basically, you know, that when you're speaking, the person hears you, but they listen to their own inner talk. So they're, maybe they're listening to the animus, which has lots of opinions, because it's collective, the shoulds, the woulds, and the coulds. As soon as that inner talk goes, well, you should have gotten this. Believe me, that does not have your best interest at heart. And it takes a while because it's a slippery slope, but if we can just just get a glimpse of that of that inner talk and just say, wait, 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 what's with, with the should? What, what are you up to? You know, now, or people, it's like the, the, these voices are going off in their heads, and of course they assume it's them because there's no difference. Who is this in me? Sometimes it helps to give names, and and then you you can become sensitive because it 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 speaks in a certain way, but as long as we don't know it's there. You're the victim. You know, it's like, uh, you know, we're in Persephone season. We're in, in, in Virgo. And Virgo very often has the, the, the journey into the underworld from victim to, to hero. You know, the opposite of the hero or the heroine is, is the victim. Right? And Persephone is drawn into the underworld. But she comes up queen. So something initiation had to happen down there so 
I guess she went through her animus uh, possession and was transformed. So when we begin to look at um, how it works, don't judge. The judgment is not discern, but not judge. So one of the first places that were probably one of the easiest to recognize is uh, like your dreams or your fantasies or active imagination. And when we see it in, in our dreams, okay, it you know, it can come as a father, a brother, a man, a movie star. Uh, you know, that's usually, you know, the animus figure. Now, depending on what's going on in the dream, as you can tell whether it's uh, positive or negative. Now, the negative animus it's, is always guiding us back into the unconscious. Uh, uh, don't do that. Don't, don't, don't achieve that. Don't, don't bother going to school. Don't, you know, or you can't learn that. You know, or, you know, eat some more sugar so you like it. You also go unconscious and have, you know, sugar wounding, um, and it will guide you. But the positive animus says, you know what, okay, if you really have to have that, let's have one piece of the best dark chocolate. It doesn't say don't do it, but it gives you the best solution, not the compulsive solution. And then you listen to the negative animus, and then you torment yourself all day long with why did you do that? Instead of questioning, who in me did this? Or just like in the positive animus. So who in, who in me knows how to do that or can write that or goes both ways? But we need to become aware that there really is a kingdom and, the, and it is filled with... Uh, humans and demons and animals and the divine. It comes in all sorts of ways. It's very real. So the negative animus can uh, often appear as an authoritative figure. It could be a priest or a monk, a teacher, a ruler. And uh, he's particularly fond of telling, uh, you know, us women what we should do and of replacing our instinct with a network of opinions. What makes us feminine are our instincts. One of the simplest ways, uh, if you're walking down the street or park, and, you, and let's say you, you see a dog, just, just notice, you're going to know, your instincts are going to know whether that's male or female. It's just the instincts. You'll rarely be wrong. How do your instincts know that? Because it recognizes it. It knows that. And we're, you know, we're very far removed from the true and authentic feminine instinctual world. The pureness of that. We, you know, we've been branded out by all sorts of stuff. And, uh, but it's our instincts. And when we're connected with that, we can stand against. Now, you need a certain amount or you need a strong, a stronger ego. If you have a weak ego or weak, a really weak sense of identity, of course, that's got to get built up a little bit so that you can stand against this. Because you know, the negative animus can be a nasty mother. Okay, So it gives us the shoulds and the coulds and the woulds 
all opinions. So he often appears at actual men that we know or, or knew, you know, the father. If a woman has a positive relationship with her father, very often she finds the animus work a little easier or she's more willing to accept this figure inside. Of course, when she gets in there and finds out what's really happening, well, that's a different, that's a different state of Narnia. Okay? So they're the first carriers of, of the image, the brother or the husband, the lover, and so on. Now, she mentions here this, uh, and I have not read it, but I am going to. The animus can also uh, appear uh, as a double. And you mentioned uh, in Christina Alberti's Father by H.G. Wells' book more than once in the seminars uh, that this is a perfect example of the way the animus works in women. So it's good to read literature so you'll get a sense of it. We need to be able to see it in life. And when we read an example like that, so it's a very interesting book. So in this book, the, the character, the girl does all sorts of nonsensical things during the day. But in the evening, she holds a sort of court of conscience. Great image, right? So in the evening, hold a court of consciousness. Who in me did what? Where is that Von Trapp family? I give them names. And some people like numbers, okay? Uh, so this court of conscience, uh, uh, which tells her exactly what she has really been up to. So this is kind of an amazing uh, image. Because we think we're holier than thou until we take a look. So this is a very good uh, illustration because it does it at night, the court of consciousness. She can't get away with it. And she sees, oh, that's what I was up to. Oh, my goodness. So one technique, because we need techniques um, uh, uh, that Jung recommends uh, for getting acquainted with her animus is to keep a sharp outlook on our speech and constantly to question our thoughts as they pass through our minds. Did I think that? Where did that come from? Who thought it? And this, of course, is the most disagreeable technique, and we always find good excuses to avoid it, such as never having time and so on. But if you can force yourself to practice it and to write down the outcome, for we forget such thoughts almost before we think them, the results are exceedingly instructive. The place where the animus usually makes us the most unhappy is when he interferes in our relationships. Boy, does he ever. He absolutely, because he's running the show and we think it's us. So, as mentioned before, the leading principle of women uh, and the anima is Eros. And Eros, of course, is, is Venus, too. The son of Venus relationship. Eros is, is the kind of the active ingredient in the universe. Uh, so, the, the, in the anima, it's Eros, and is that of men. And in the animus is Logos, spirit. So, the healthy or... Uh, positive animus 
brings us into life, the spirit of life, and how to function in life, and how to succeed, and how to create. The anima, which is the female and the male, that's Sophia, that's the divine feminine. She goes within. She makes them connected to the feeling value, the feeling world, the world of the instinctual feminine world. And, you know, men can have a very hard time with that. It's like, whoa, I, 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 don't, I don't even know what, what are they talking about. So we've all got our job cut out for us. And believe me, it is so worth it. It is some serious suffering, but once you get this, you have it for all of eternity. So it's not like we have to do it every incarnation. It's about consciousness. So the you know the anima, the the male soul is eros, and the animus is logos, the law, the spirit of. So when we begin to recognize, how is that operating in our life? And so where Eros wishes to join and unite, it's kind of like the we, okay. The Logos wishes to discriminate for the purpose to separate. Now, I find that so fascinating because externally, very often it's assumed the woman wants the we, but internally that's not true. She wants to separate. She wants to become her own person. But that's the evolution. Essentially, women want their own sovereignty. They don't want to rule. The negative animus wants to rule over others. Okay, But the positive animus wants self-rule. We're ruled by our own authority, who we truly are. That's what the positive sovereignty is about. So when we begin to recognize that, it really helps us to discriminate. What am I up to here? So, you know, the animus can also have an exceedingly severing effect. When we just chop off their heads. Brutally cut. How can you do that? Well, if your animus possessed, you can do it. And you, you know, you have it on the highest authority, and you've been hurt, and your righteousness, and you're hurt. Well, yeah, but when you, when you kind of go bonkers, well, then you've become a dictator. You've severed relatedness, and we suffer greatly from that. So if the relationship, let's say it's to the husband or the mentor or the analyst, okay, if it's important enough to us, we will suffer a great deal in this respect. And I think that's part of why we have that wounding and the sorrow and the the, the dynamics that happen in a relationship. We love that person. So we're willing, hopefully, um, to look at our stuff. Because a man, believe me, knows exactly when we're in that animus position. They want to strangle us. Because we think we got better, we're better men than them. And if we lose the connection to the relatedness and the instincts, see the way a woman needs to relate to the male, is our position is to help them connect 
to the anima. And we don't can help them connect to that by telling them what to do. That's the negative animus. Well, you should do this and you should do that. You don't talk about your feelings. It's not about talking about your feelings. It's like knowing what your instincts are. But if we, if we kind of hint or give a question or ask, gee, I wonder what, what, what we're thinking with that. Instead of having the answer, then what happens the man, consciously or unconsciously, is going to drop that into his own psyche, into his own soul, and get a connection. Tell you what was going on there. These are all very powerful and subtle and profound. Uh, in a sense, they're strokes. In a sense, they're works of art. This art of relationship. So if we if we're too strong in the in the negative animus, we sever, we cut, we destroy. But if it's a positive relationship, we're willing to to look at it in a different way, or we're willing to catch, or you know you'll walk away and go, what the hell do I say that for? I don't even know what that means, right? So the incentive to investigate and discover the animus very often is a love relationship. You know, and in fact, we often become convinced of the reality uh, of this figure, uh, which before we only accepted in theory until we see it in action. And when the, when the opinions we have always uh, taken for gospel separate us from somebody who is vital to our feeling life, we actually may, for the first time, willingly question the validity where no logic or argument would have any effect whatsoever. It's like, what am I really blaming men for not talking about their feelings when, in fact, they need to... Feelings are their values. What do they value? They have a right to value and the collective unconscious tricks them that their value is to go get killed for somebody else's property rights or whatever. So this matriarch and patriarch, they, they need to work together, not one over. So it's also in our vital relationships to someone of the opposite sex that we usually first discover the animus in projection. So as long as the projection fits, uh, we are naturally unaware that it exists. But sooner or later, if the relationship is important enough, uh, it is certain to give rise to trouble. And this aspect of the problem is described uh, by, by, he talks here about Emma Young in her excellent article, A Contribution to the Problem of the Animus. So you can Google that by Emma Young and take a look at that. So, although there are exceptions, most women, when they have experienced the reality of the animus beyond all doubt, feel exceedingly negative towards um, towards the animus. It's like, ugh, no. Notice it. See what it's up to. Know it's its character. Don't reject it. Took you a lot to be able to separate these uh, levels, as they're called. So, 
So he's forever thwarting our intentions, spoiling our relationships, replacing our sound instincts and feelings by a mere collection of opinions, and altogether preventing us from living our lives naturally as women. So this is only too true of the animus in the negative aspect. And when we experience only this side, we are obliged sooner or later to ask ourselves, you know, why do I know so little about my own mind? People say, but when you recognize it, it's like, that's, that's, your, that's your opinion. Or why am I such, on such bad terms with my animus? What am I doing that he's always thwarting me? Obviously, early experiences with protected animus, uh, animus, a negative father complex, for instance, plays a great role. So Jung says here in psychology and alchemy, no matter how much parents and grandparents may have sinned against the child, the man who is really adult will accept the sins as his own condition, uh, which he has to reckon with. Only a fool is interested in other people's guilt, since he cannot alter it. The wise man learns only from his own guilt. He will ask himself, who am I that this should happen to me? To find the answer to this fateful question, he will look into his own heart. So it's a great week for looking into your own heart. Okay, we'll continue with this next week. Animus Hunting 2. Bye-bye.